Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma CareerCast on exploring the gender and diversity gap in trauma surgery. I'm your moderator, Selena Wido from Cooper University Hospital in Camden, New Jersey. Today I'm here with Paula Ferrada. Dr. Ferrada is well known throughout our community as being an extremely capable and dynamic surgeon with a special bent on encouraging the careers and mentoring of early career surgeons on top of being a leader in the field of critical care ultrasound and global surgery. As a bit of background, Dr. Ferrada went to medical school at the Universidad del Valmedicine, graduating magna cum laude in Cali, Colombia. She went on to do an internship at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami, Florida, followed by residency at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts, and was notably the first Colombian woman to graduate from a surgical specialty at Harvard. After residency, she completed subspecialty training in surgical critical care at the University of Pittsburgh and acute care surgery at the R. Adams Cowley Shock Trauma Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Since then, she's been in practice at Virginia Commonwealth University, serving as professor of surgery at VCU College of Medicine, serving as the medical director of the Surgical and Trauma Intensive Care Unit, and as the program director for the Surgical Critical Care Fellowship Program. Other notable accomplishments include serving as the 2017 president-elect of the Virginia chapter of the American College of Surgeons, as the chair of the Young Fellows Association for the American College of Surgeons, and as secretary of the Pan-American Trauma Society. She was the recipient of the 2016 Irby James Award for Excellence in Clinical Teaching and is the author of more manuscripts and book chapters than I can count. It's a pleasure to have an opportunity to speak with you. Thanks for being here, Dr. Ferrada. Thank you so much for that um, humbling introduction. <laughs> so one of the reasons why we were looking to do this as a career cast, um, gender and, and ethnic diversity in medicine has become such an important topic and on the forefront of many people's minds. Um, and according to the AAMC table, the acg residents and fellows by sex and specialty last reported 2015, of the 8,158 general surgical residents, 61.7% are identified as men and 38.3% are identified as female. While this is certainly a narrowing gap from the historical male majority, there still remains a noticeable gap at the faculty level, especially when academic promotion is considered. By one estimate, achieving gender parity at the level of full professors won't happen in, for women until 2136. Not only that, but data show that black and Hispanic people are also grossly underrepresented in medicine, with 17.4% of the general population being Hispanic and only making up 8.5% of general surgery trainees. And the numbers are 12.4 and 6.2 um, for the black population, respectively. As you'd imagine, people of color, this, uh, similar to women in a way, are underrepresented at all levels of academics, and the disparity is greatest at the level of professor. And the reports that I've been looking at actually didn't even include the data on regarding Asian Americans, and we know that there's a disparity there as well. In addition to that, there's the intersectionality of gender, race, sexual orientation, and ability-disability, which then makes the issue even more significant, significantly complex. Thankfully, the need to increase representation and improve inclusivity has really been on everyone's minds. And EAST, for example, has um, the hashtag EAST for All Equity, Quality, and Inclusion task, uh, ad hoc task force uh, that we convened this year for the first time. So your experience as both a woman and an underrepresented person is sadly unusual in academic medicine. Uh, would you be able to share with us a little of your story? Right. <clears throat> Thank you uh, for having me and for asking me these questions. So um, I do think that... Um, uh, you're right. Uh, the data is um, the data is telling there is underrepresented 
um, in minorities in surgery. I think the tide is changing. I don't, if anything uh, comes out of this podcast, I want to not discourage but encourage people of all genders or um, of all ethnicities to do what they love. And if surgery is what they love, then you should totally do it. The uh, theme of what what I think all the organizations and and all the people that are that are uh, uh, empowering people to um, to understand that this is not normal and is not tolerated that there that there's going to be zero tolerance to that type those types of behavior and even though um, surgery have been um, and, you know, um, it, it has thought to be some a field that is hierarchical in nature, and then um, and then discriminatory in nature. I just want to encourage everybody that is hearing these studies that the 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 tide is changing, and that is not um, how it is anymore. Or or at least we are trying really really hard to change it and to um, and to make it unacceptable for people to behave that way. So my story, I did surgery because um, I could, honest, could not escape it. I uh, ended trauma surgery because basically trauma surgery chose me um, rather than the other way around. I always um, loved everything in medicine and in surgery, but I remember saying, oh, you know, I'm going to do uh, vascular fellowship, but then I'm going to do trauma call for fun, or I'm going to do transplant fellowship, but then trauma call for fun. I really absolutely love what I do, and I think it's a privilege that we get to take care of patients when they need us the most. I came from uh, Colombia, South America, and it was really, um, as a foreign graduate, it's really hard to get a categorical spot, so I did a a, a myriad of things before I um, received a spot. And I think a lot of people um, did not expect me to... um, to make it, and um, I think uh, it has been, uh, you know, like I, um, I, um, I said this when we were in the in in uh, in the talk in the for all talk. Um, you succeed because you love what you do, and you succeed succeed in spite of the people not um, wanting you to succeed to succeed, but not to spite them. So um, because they don't have that power over us, right? The people that behave that way or say those things. Um, uh, only have the power that we let them have. So um, I think that the more uh, people that are different are successful, the um, better ways of breaking the mold for uh, what success, uh, what people think success look like, and in that way you can bring people along with you. Um, specifically, I had several uh, instances um, and doing early residency and before I got into residency, and as I you go up in your career, I think um, I think it becomes more evident that you are that you're different, and I think that's okay. I think that the point is um, continue to keep an eye on the ball and um, do what you love and do it with passion, and and the things at the end uh, fall into place. Does that make any sense? I answered the question. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and one of the things that you said at the East for All um, and, and repeated here um, is is so pertinent to this. It, you you do what you love. You succeed not to spite them, but in spite of them. Um, and 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 I, can, I think that brings me to another question. Um, 
this one kind of hurts to ask because I think this is such an important topic, but I hear other people ask and wonder what the conversation really is. We talk, we're talking more and more about this to make people feel empowered, to let people know that they can and should be doing what they love, what calls to them, um, regardless of the external factors. Um, but I've heard brought up that ironically, the more we talk about our differences, um, the more we actually may be enhancing those differences and discouraging equal treatment. I personally don't um, subscribe to that mindset, but I've heard that discussed before. Uh, how would how would you respond if someone said that to you? Well, I think I I, um, I think everybody is entitled to have their own perception of reality, right? So for some people. So, and that I think that this happened to uh, women that are behind our generation that they are were like so that thought few women in in uh, in surgery, so they did not want to even name that they were women because they would feel that people would treat them differently, or um, or you know they didn't want to be too girly because then they will be looked down upon. I don't know. I think that. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't think that that's the truth. I think that I cannot negate, uh, for, for the way that I speak, the way that I behave, that I, that I behave myself. I have never tried to hide that I'm Latina, that I'm Colombian, that I am, that I'm a woman, uh, and, um, and you know what? Even though I take into consideration the opinions of people that I care about, um, I, I strongly believe that the one person that you have to, um, strive to impress in life is staring you back at the mirror. It's yourself. I mean, sure, if you impress the dean or whatever, the chair, uh, on the way of doing that, fantastic. But at the end, the one person that you have to compete with is you. The one person that you have to impress is yourself. And, um, and again, the other stuff, um, is noise and, um, you know, smoke and mirrors. And, and it will be so much clearer if you just focus on what you can control and what you can do and the outcomes that you care about, right? Yeah, put put your effort where you may see results. Right. We had speaking of hiding things about ourselves. Um, we, I shouldn't say we, it was not endorsed by my program, but several residents in my, co-residents in my training program used to have a phrase, there are two types of women surgeons, women who shouldn't be surgeons, and surgeons who shouldn't be women. Um, and that is not even remotely a clever thing to come up with, and it is a horribly damaging perspective. And I think that does then get communicated back to the generation following after us is this who I want to be if I'm not allowed to be myself? Correct, but then that's only that statement only has power if you give it to it, right? You give it so, power. so because they're saying it, that doesn't mean that it's true. Like somebody can say, "Oh, you know, I think that you're bad or you're a bad surgeon." I'm like, I appreciate your opinion, but I'm pretty sure I'm awesome. So, so you, you see, my point is that I think I think that. Some opinions are um, maybe loud, maybe shared with some people, but why would I care? I mean, those opinions come from ignorance, from lack of understanding, from lack of experience. I don't know, but that's that's on them. That is not on us, right? And and you shouldn't affect my performance. It's not going to change how fast or how slow I will stop somebody from bleeding to death, right? So I really 
don't care. And and that's usually how. And that I think, he, uh, I mean, I, I know that. So I have talked to. Dr. Sackerson is the head of um, of the of the um, of of the task force, and her and I get into these discussions because she feels that I have a leaning approach, meaning um, I think that the person that the victim needs to—I don't think it's the victim's fault at all—but I think you need to own your share. I I think that if you sit down in a corner complaining that things are not going your way, that's you know, it will add to the complaining, and it will definitely, um, uh, you know, create awareness, but it's not going to fix your situation. The only way that you can fix the situation is just by focusing on the things that you can change and letting go of the ones that you can't and um, and owning your perspective, right? If you want to sit at the table, then take the seat at the table, right? Make, make some space, um, you know, uh, take a stand. Speak up, and it's not easy. I I know I, I walk around and people thinking that I'm completely unafraid just because I'm opinionated. But no, of course my my heart races to 175. You know, every time that I express an opinion in a room of people that you know might not hear it, but I'm not gonna keep it to myself. And I think that that is that is um, with all this issue when we talk about discrimination or what's bad. I'm not saying it's great. It's not great. It's terrible that people that people discriminate from um, you know religion or race or gender. But sitting down and complaining about it is not going to fix anything. What we have to do is create strategies. Now, some people say you know strategies. A, a culture is a strategy for breakfast. Not if your strategy is to change the culture. So you want, so you want to see a different world? Just you know, get up your chair and start changing it. That's an incredibly good point. To control the things that we can control and to ignore the noise will allow us to to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And I don't want to say to do so fearlessly because, like you said, it's not without fear. But to be brave enough to do so, to do what we think is right. And to have our opinions and to understand that we are we are allowed to have our opinions, we are allowed to voice them, and we are allowed to sit at the table. Now, the so some of the responsibility absolutely is on um, those of us who are in, in the underrepresented populations to do the best we can by with what we are given by ourselves um, and to the people around us. Now, what about those people who sit in a seat of a seat of privilege? What kind of responsibility do they have? Um, to be participating in this conversation and to be changing the culture. Yeah, huge responsibility. So, um, you know, um, I think some of the strategies that will uh, get you to where you want to be, one, you have to have allies, right? So it's, uh, some allies will be people on your same level, and but some other allies need to be people that have a little bit more power than you so they can help you gain more influence and get to the point where you want to be. And and it doesn't have to be either more power or a higher status, but um, academic status, but at least somebody wiser that also can help you navigate situations better, you know, have better, different control of your emotions. Uh, You know, sometimes changing how you say one thing or there has a huge impact on the results, just focusing on the results. Um, I think, um, you know, we talk about diversity a lot and, and, and women helping women, but the truth is that a lot of, you know, older white males have 
been instrumental in my career and um and I think that is they it's because they they uh believed in in uh what I could do and they were able to see past the other stuff. Yes, it's absolutely important that the people, and it's also important that the people that went through these, um, uh, you know, hoops and hassles and all of that, don't forget what they went through once they reached the, their goal, right? So going through uh, difficult situations, but then making it, and then saying, because I went through it, and because it, because it was so hard for me, why should I make it easier for others? No, I think that the responsibility is to open doors for people, um, make the road easier for people that are around you and behind you. And that's something that's come up in the literature recently. That's kind of the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Um, they find that women tend to have um, a greater proportion of both self-identified and professionally assigned mentors um, than young male faculty. But what they're finding is that women don't have the same sponsorship opportunities or aren't being um, advocated for in terms of when a promotion comes up or in terms of when, um, you know, a new um, role in yeah. authority comes up. Um, so just so you, you saying that maybe really think about, about that data that's coming out. Um, what has, and you especially, and you especially mentioned that a lot of your mentors and, and mine too, um, have been older white men. How have the, how has mentorship and sponsorship, um, helped, uh, shape your career? Tremendously. So, um, from, uh, my father who's a surgeon to Dr. David Feliciano, who when I was a preliminary resident and everybody was telling me to do anesthesia, uh, kept supporting me until the end, um. I have, uh, you know, Andrew Bernard, uh, Bruce Krugs, a lot of people at East, um, Dr. Nicole Stassen, a woman. So sometimes the reason why I say it, we need to, one, once you make it, you can't forget, is like you, there's also a little bit of woman and woman um, uh, sin, right? So you cannot, you cannot do great and then become a queen bee. You have to, you know, help the other women around you as well. I think, I think, uh, it's a responsibility of all, and then I a sponsor it's a sponsorship too. Sure, I hear I hear a lot of stories of women that they feel, you know, I had all these good uh, um, these good um, requirements. I met all the requirements. I wanted to do everything, and I wanted to go up for a promotion. And then they told me no. But then my counterpart that was male went for it. And, um, you know, it's painful to hear. Um, uh, it is still happening, but I think um, at the end, uh, one thing that I advise people that are in those circumstances, and instead of, you know, um, stamp your feet in the floor, just find a strategy to get around it. Find a strategy to get around it and get it done. Because at the end, at the end, it's just a matter of focusing on the results and then just at the end, get what you need. So one of the things, so one of the things that um, you, you're, you're also extremely accomplished in and you're known for is your social media presence. Um, so two questions here: um, In what ways has social media positively impacted your career? Right. So social media was um, an accident for me. It was uh, completely, you know, I'm, I never like when when people say. I always I have gone to powerful people and asked them for advice. Hey, how did you do this? And then they answer me, well, I was in the right place at the right time, and I used to hate that answer because I, for me, nothing, not that many things have happened because I was at the right time and the right place. I have always made the right time 
and make the right place, if that makes any sense. Like, it's it mm-hmm. always, like, everything that I have accomplished, and I appreciate the, the great things that you're saying, but nothing that I have done has been for free. Everything has, take, has taken planning and strategy, thinking, doing it, failing it, trying again. It's never, it's never a, um, it's never a, oh, you just got it. Go, oh, congratulations. It's always like some swim around. And it's fine. I'm fine with it because I have learned uh, probably more from the times that I didn't get initially what I wanted and was able to navigate through it and get something better at the end. Anyway, but that being said, <laughs> social media was one of the things that was easy. So I um, have no idea about Twitter. I had an account, but I had no idea about it. And I started, um, and then uh, Heather Lodge started with the, um, I look like a certain movement, and I just got, I, I thought it was really inspiring, and it really spoke to many things that um, that I had seen. And um, mind you that we're, uh, you know, we think that things are so hard in the United States, but things are pretty good in the United States when you compare to other places. There's some other places where they're not even close in many levels, respect, awareness, opportunities, sponsoring to women. Um, and I think... Um, I think uh, I'm I'm just really grateful that I, that I'm here and that I'm a surgeon here. But anyway, when I started seeing the, uh, that movement, it just really spoke to the things that I believed about that you should be judged for your results, for your capacity, for your good technique, or because you're a good researcher, not because you're a woman or you're tiny or you know the other stuff that really does not matter when you're saving somebody's life. So. Um, so I got um, into that, and all of a sudden, you know, I had two followers, I think my mom and my husband, and then, uh, and then almost overnight, it was within a week, I was, um, I was, um, I was just in Twitter, and, um, and I think, um, I think, it, yes, it's good, it's good to be in social media for um, scientific things, and because you have the opportunity to. Uh, almost be in a meeting without being in a meeting and listening to not listening right you know writing or, or reading the things from but it's almost like listening to things that are happening in real time but I think the most important thing for social media in my perspective is that it gives the people a voice um, so um, it's not anymore um, the things that before where completely like under the shadows are open for everybody to see. And I think transparency is never a bad thing. Um, I think Hina Santri has this uh, group of uh, surgeons' mom in Facebook. And I think that is another example how social media can be a great thing to support. Because moms are surgeons, sometimes have, like, you know, unique um challenges so having a support system where you can just talk about what happened um i think is great so if the uses are infinite now people sometimes are concerned about social media and nothing nothing in life is good or bad right it's just is and it depends how you use it like water water is wonderful when you're thirsty and terrible when it floods your basement same thing social media is um it's not good. It's not bad. It's just user dependent. Yeah, I never, and and that, and that makes and that makes so much sense. I, I had never expected Twitter to be such. It seemed like such a um, fad, to be perfectly honest. 
But what it's really done is it's provided a voice to people who may not be otherwise able to connect with one another. Right. Um, especially through the this Association of Women's uh, Women Surgeons account. Um, they do chats. Um, the thoracic surgeons do chats. Um, and then just even being able to interact with, um, honestly, I think you and I have interacted several times on Twitter that seems yeah. totally, totally random, but yet totally pertinent to the overall discussion. So it's really amazing to then to link up people who have similar interests, goals, um, and allow them and allow them to interact, give them the power to interact and support one another. Um, do you have Do you have any favorite resources um, on social media? Favorite resources, like, like favorite favorite Twitter accounts or or thing, or, or um, um, groups from whom you've learned um, quite a bit. Right. So uh, East, <laughs> I think uh, I follow East. I follow uh, Women Surgeons, um, uh, the association's account. Um, I um, you know uh, when I say the leaning approach, the the um, uh, Cheryl Salzberg, yeah, yeah, the um, the book leaning. She has a um, Twitter and Facebook um, account, um, you know, not account for her, but for the movement, and it shows initiatives about, you know, feel good stories of people that that um, had, you know, taken control of their lives and done, doing something amazing with it. Um, yeah, um, I honestly, when I'm working. Um, I'm only in social media when I'm in the media or here and there. When there's a tweet chat, for example, I, I join in. But I, um, in the day-to-day work, um, I, you know how our lives is, right? Our, like we're, um, we're in the trauma bay, we're in the OR, we're in the ICU, um, you know. So I, um, I, I'm not in the phone as much because I, I try. I, I think people think I multitask. I don't multitask. I focus intensely in things serially. <laughs> so I focus intensely in something for 10 minutes, and then I move on to the next, and then I move on to the next. But I think I have tried, like, having five things at the same time, and just the brain doesn't work as well. So I try to minimize the screen time when I'm doing other stuff. I'm going to have to try that approach. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I think we're reaching the end of um, the questions that I had or want to discuss is, uh, oh, you know what, actually, no. Um, one of the other things I was thinking, we never ask, and you had mentioned this before about moms in, in the Facebook group, we never really ask men about their work-life integration. Um, but we always ask women about their work-life integration. I hate to fall into that trap, but it's such an important topic for many of us because the we still know, again, via data, that women still carry a lot of the burden at home with family, with chores, um, with the responsibility for the household. So work-life integration becomes de facto a necessary question. Um, what would you What would you tell your young colleagues about work-life integration that you wish you had known when you first started? Oh, God, no. There's so many things I wish I have known. I think that is very important when you're going to decide to find a partner for life to uh, make sure that that person understands um, what's your passion and um, so they can support it, uh, you know. So Because I think somebody that really, really loves you, loves you completely and whole and wants to make sure that you're happy and, uh, and you know, you wouldn't be happy if you were not doing something that you're passionate about. Um, I think um, I think that that's key. And I think that's key for both genders. Um, 
Um, I think distribution of labor at home, um, I have to say that I have a household of two surgeons and, um, and it's not, it's not, um, I choose to do most of the things, but it's not because the other person doesn't want to help me. It's just because I am sort of a control freak. But it does get hard sometimes, and I think you should be able, um, anybody that is busy, women or male, should be able to um, trust other people to do things and let go of the little stuff. So if the bathrooms are not perfectly clean, that will be okay, you know, as long as there's food on the table and everybody's alive. Um, I think... Um, I think that I always, at the beginning, I did try to achieve balance, and I completely, I quickly realized that balance is not possible. Like you said, it's integration. And, you know, I joke with with Rahul, the only thing normal in our house is the um, setting of the washer, because I don't, I don't shoot for normal anyway, anymore. I shoot for happy. You know, it's messy, and it's fast, and... um you know, but you make it work every day, and as long as you're happy and healthy and alive, and and life goes on. I think I think uh, forgiving yourself for not being perfect, right? Everybody, the same way we all have a little bit of guilt. So we all, and uh, for mothers, um, I don't know how this works for fathers as well, but moms, we all have a little bit of mom guilt, um, and 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 that is true for moms that stay at home as well. So I think it, you're never going to be perfect, but that kid, you are the only mom and the best mom for your for that kid, right? They don't know anything different. So, um, so I think that is stop not 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 shoot for perfect, just shoot for done. Is something that I quickly learned. Just as normal is only a setting on the washer, perfect is only a is only a word used to sell things. It doesn't actually exist. Right. Or, you know, it's perfect for you. If you're happy, that's what matters. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Is there anything else that you can think of that you want to talk about that I didn't touch on or that's very important to the topic? No, I um I, I just want to emphasize the things that we talked at the beginning. I think mm-hmm. uh, for those people listening that um, are trainees and are thinking about going to surgery or going into trauma, or they think that oh it's too hard because you want to have a family. I just I think that at the end, um, like don't overthink it so much. Uh, you have one life. I think um, I, I I feel strongly that we should live. Uh, you should you should live one life like you know like this is it if there's only one life you're not coming back so uh so have as much fun as possible do um you know be happy and i think if if trauma and and this kind of job is what brings you happiness then you're going to be amazing at it and you're going to be able to help a lot of people and 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 all the other stuff will work itself out it usually does and I'm also hearing a big theme of of a lot of personal accountability. It's it's up to us to, to to determine what's going to make us happy, and it's up to us to do what is within our power to go after that. Um, so if that's going to be surgery, to to love it, to love it without apology, to to go, to do it. Exactly. To so that's the thing. That's exactly that's what you're saying is exactly right. So 
Yes, you know, I'm not saying that that it took a while to find myself, to find myself and be so comfortable to say, you know what, this is Paula Ferrara, and I apologize to no one. This is me, right? That's fine. I'm not. I'm. I'm not getting. Any, I'm not. I'm gonna apologize because um, this is the way that I am. This, the, you know, I'm 42 years old. <laughs> this is this is how like, right? So it's just. Live, um, I mean, of course, without offending people, that's my point, but live without apology, uh, live to the full, take responsibility for what is yours, and, uh, and accept failure, you know, practice failure, in fact, because from the things that we don't get perfect and from the things that we fail, I think is the things that we learn the most in life. You know, all the, the, the romantic songs come out of heartache, and it's for a reason. Beautiful songs, beautiful poems come out of heartache. So, you know, when anything terrible happens, juice it because that's a huge opportunity for whatever is it that is going to come next and the person that you're going to become when you go through it. And that's the only way we develop resilience as well. If we've never if we've never experienced failure or difficulties, we never learn how to overcome or achieve what we need to despite those difficulties. Right. Um. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much for taking I don't want to, I, and again, I don't want to keep you too long, too. I know we're, we're already taking time out of your afternoon. No, so thank no, you. Okay. Thank you very much. And I love, I love hearing you say you're not going to apologize for being yourself. You're not going to apologize for having an opinion. Because I feel like so many times as women, we're not told that we need to apologize, but we're still, our opinion. Afraid? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because because then because then there's that horrible double standard um of, you know, calling being called witchy with a B. Um and I yeah, love but that that's, um, inscription. But that's, title. but that's exactly my point. It only matters if you care. Like the moment yeah. that in life you realize that all the um the mystery and the fear and and the opinion of other people and everything that is holding you back is is holding you back because you're letting it is such a, a moment of freedom like the moment that you say you know what it's a choice it's a choice to get upset about this and it's a choice to not do this because they told me not to or it's a choice to um you know quit or it's a choice to feel less it's your choice. choice. To other, a, a choice to let other people's expectations determine what you're able to accomplish. Exactly. Yep. Because, again, the only person that you have to impress is yourself. It's staring you at the mirror. Same thing that we started from the beginning. So the moment that you'd realize, you know what? Who cares? So I fell at this. Who cares? You can. This is going to make me better. Move on. Next page. Keep going. Clean your and knees think, and, and keep think- running. And I think if any trainees are listening to that, that's probably that's probably one of the biggest messages is be exactly who you are without apology. Yeah, I think it's that this. I think it's a country song about it. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> find who you are and then do it on purpose. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's so liberating. It's the moment that you decide to do that. Thank you again for your time. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure getting to talk with you, um, and thank you for everything you do to support um, the Young Fellows Association, um, East and the East for All movement, um, and 
all of the people who you have both consciously and unconsciously mentored throughout your career and who you will continue to do so. Uh, thank you very much, and I think on behalf of all of us.